Welcome to Abacus Briefs, the podcast where two chartered professional accountants discuss all things business and finance. This podcast is sponsored by the Public Accounting Offices of Abacus Group. It is purely for entertainment purposes, is not intended as financial advice, and does not form an advisory relationship. Don't take financial advice from a podcast. And here's Gus and Igor. Welcome to Abacus Briefs, your podcast on everything accounting and finance related. Gus, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's great to be here on uh, this sunny afternoon. It's, uh, you know, lots lots happened between our last podcast and now. So it's... Including uh, our busy season and everything yeah. that comes with it. Oh, my God. Uh, Do you, you have a good time during our busy season? Tax I, time is practically over. Yeah, I... It pretty much flushed that out of my brain already. So I, I couldn't couldn't give you a recap of yesterday if you asked me. <laughs> well, perfect. And and sort of so we're all back. Um, and again, Gus and Igor from Abacus Group were uh, we're here to talk about a few things that's come up in the in the last little while. We're gonna stay away a little bit from the topic of COVID nineteen, aren't we, Gus? Uh, <laughs> and why why do we want to stay away? Yeah, from this topic? I think I think specifically we're not gonna get into anything technical here. I think. Immediately after, um, you know, the the pandemic broke and all the government subsidies came out, there was just this flurry of information, one from the government and then two from every other practitioner trying to analyze it and give their perspective on... Email spam incoming. Yeah, yeah, just the amount of news and volume is, is insane. So I think, you know, at a high level, I think if our listeners want to find more information, the best way to get it is to look at the government website number one and number two consult with your accountant and those two things should sort of line up right so if you have an expectation on a particular subsidy that you want to claim confirm that with your accountant yeah or maybe confirm with a couple you never (laughs) there's been a lot of regulations coming out so uh, not all of us are up to date with it Uh, but yeah what we're so what we're going to discuss today uh, a few interesting issues so we're going to talk about a little bit of the COVID impact on small businesses in Canada, everything to do with that, Uh, some changes in business practices. We're going to talk about uh, the economic snapshot, what kind of stuff we can look forward to, Um, you know, what what we can expect. It's been a a difficult quarter. It's been a difficult time for everybody involved, Uh, you know, what's coming up down the line. And uh, you you know what, maybe some, some fun consequences. But, you know, given, given our podcast is a little bit on a lighter note, uh, we're going to try to interject a little bit of humor, a little bit of uh, tongue-in-cheek commentary. But uh, once again, you're not supposed to be taking advice from this podcast anyway. So <laughs> please don't take our jokes as, as anything other other than that. Gus and Igor, how has COVID-19 impacted small businesses? So on, on that note, Gus, are you ready to go? Absolutely. So let's let's start with our first topic, which is, again, like Igor said, the impact of COVID-19 on on small businesses in Canada. I'm sure you guys are seeing a lot of news out there. Uh, Statistics Canada came out with an impact study on COVID-19 and the effect on small businesses at a high level. Their their main points are, are probably relatively intuitive. Revenues from small businesses were down 20 percent in the first quarter. Uh, Small businesses with less than 100 employees who typically laid off one employee 
likely laid off more than 80% of their workforce. Oh, no. And small businesses were more likely to request credit or some sort of deferral, such as a rent deferral or, or their tax deferral. Right. So I think, Igor, so what do you, what do you sort of think about this and how, how are you seeing it play, play out with your clients? I mean, I'll start with a tongue-in-cheek comment. Like, uh, you know, given the businesses are compensated uh, by the government for showing lower revenues, there, there may be a little bit of a dip because of that. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, it's it's certainly taken a hold on the economy. I mean, I guess you and I have seen a few instances where there are certain industries that seem to be uh, adversely affected, very adversely affected, and others that have actually grown during the COVID pandemic. Um, the layoffs, you know, to me, that number is a little bit surprising, right? I mean, I think between all the clients that we've seen, there we haven't seen too much layoffs, right? Either an entire business has closed and, uh, you know, like restaurant advertising, some of that kind of, those businesses have been hit pretty hard. But uh, I, we've also seen a lot of companies just keep their employees on payroll and say, you know what, we're not having a lot of business right now. We're going to continue to pay you. Customers are continuing to pay in one way, shape or form, but they've, they've kind of left that uh, sort of to, to the cards. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it, it's great that you sort of mentioned um, the impact on our on our clients for sure, and what what we're actually seeing, and I think some of it has to do with you know reading statistics and how do you how do you interpret this right? It's like this survey was at a point in time, um, you know, the pandemic just hit, right? Um, you know, there was probably a lot of people who were just laying off employees just out of panic, and then the government subsidies came in. Maybe they rehired their employees right away, right? So we did, you know, we saw a lot of businesses that were doing that too, where, you know, at first they laid off all their employees um, and then they hired them back once once the wage subsidies were announced, yeah. right? So that's that's the other thing as well. So I think we have seen, you know, and, and for better or worse, there's, there's a lot of things you can say about the subsidies that are out to date, but... I think one thing the government did do well is is um, the speed of how they enacted these these tax changes that usually take months, if not they, they years. They turned on those taps right away. Oh yeah, months, if not years, to to kind of enact and right. and think of the consequences and the implications and how do you how do you enforce it and how do you measure? Um, sort know, of very sets, complicated. See where the cards land at the end of the day yeah. and kind of uh, pick it up afterwards. I I guess. Um, what what's your kind of perspective on like the layoffs of people? Do you think people are going to be taken back right now? Now here, um, a story that from, from a week ago, uh, there was a client that basically uh, had a heart to heart with me and said, you know what, now that I look at it, my manufacturing production, you know, we started back up, we've brought on about half the workforce. And one surprising thing I noted is, we are just as productive with half the workforce. And he said, what should I bring these people back? <laughs> They're kind of, a, and, and it sucks, right? But um, th this, is, this is something that I'm sure he's not the only business owner that's been experiencing this. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's a test of fortitude for sure on, on business owners alike. And ultimately what you're seeing is, is the impact of, of having to be in a situation which is uncomfortable, right? Right. So where before when, you know, business was flowing and people were excited to do deals and revenue was okay, 
you weren't scrutinizing the bottom line as much. You weren't scrutinizing your salary costs and expenditure costs. And now, now it's becoming more apparent and people are starting to cut back and look at ways to make things more efficient. So I think, you know, for better or worse, this pandemic has, you know, created a lot of problems, but at the same time, it's, it's fast-tracked and streamlined a lot of businesses. Um, you know, you'll see uh, an absolute uh, destruction of the brick-and-mortar type businesses, yeah. yet the tech businesses are relatively unaffected. And, like, to your point about manufacturing, you're, you know, maybe relying a little bit more on uh, artificial intelligence, the technology, less on, less on people. I think this is sort of fast-tracked the eventual outcome of where business was going just right. a little bit quicker. And, and you know what, like if I were, if I were to hazard a guess, especially in larger companies, right? Think about, uh, so this, this particular client has um, a workforce of about 80 people in total, right? When you have a workforce that large, the business owner isn't the one making the hiring decisions, right? It's middle management. It's his directors. It's uh, some of the other staff, right? So, there may be instances where, you know, over the last few years, you've accumulated a few people that are nice to have, right, rather than mission critical for producing some, some type, some of the work that they do, yeah. right? And, and that may be a consequence where it's almost like a rebalancing of, you know, what do we actually produce? What are our margins? Do we really need the same sustained workforce? So maybe the information asymmetry is, is coming to bite everyone back at the end of the day, because you're not hiring that extra person just for, just because you, you feel like it, right? And, and your, your, um, your boss isn't saying anything about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Igor, so I, I, I had a, a interesting question from, from another client and, you know, I've, I've heard, I'm sure you heard this a bunch of times as well. Um, you know, they call in, um, you know, maybe some of our listeners are in a typical, typical situation here. It's similar to this and, you know, they, they see all these these subsidies. They have no idea what's going on. What should I do? Like what? I, like my operations has been severely in, impacted. You know, right. I, maybe maybe I can't draw any money from the business anymore. What what do I do? How do I apply for government relief? Um, you know, and and these aren't necessarily accounting questions per se, and they come back to sort of running the business, which you know is something we love to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, these these questions. You're right. They're t- they're tough to answer, and I think the one thing that's really important is you have to think what stage is your business in, right? Because there's there's a variety of different impacts as a result of COVID. There's a variety of uh, economic sort of uh, fallout from COVID. So the thing that that I keep going back to my clients with is what is exactly what are you experiencing? So let's start with the inputs into the business. Like, are your like, is everyone still able to work? Is, are you still getting the same amount of orders? Are you quoting as much? Do you, like, is your physical location? Yeah, supply, supply chain issue. Supply maybe. chain, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. you're and, just getting down to that critical issue. Yeah. yeah. And, and at the same time, it's, if you're doing well, the, the one thing that I tend to emphasize a lot is the government support isn't for you. Like if, if your business is growing and you're having a significant uh, a significant sort of upturn in sales and everything else and you're coming back to us to say what, what programs are available, the reality is not a whole lot, right? But if exactly, you've lost a lot of customers, you're not sure if you're shutting down the business, 
you don't know how much money you're going to need just to last out a few months until let's say stage three opens up or whatever opens up. Those are the ones that, that again, there's a lot of programs uh, available. And right now it's information overload. There's, there's the CERB, there's the wage subsidy, there's the temporary wage subsidy, there is the rental assistance payments. So it, it, it's an endless treasure trove of things that the government is doing. So I think kind of where we start with every one of these analysis is like, what are you really missing from that business? Like what's preventing you from moving forward? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of a lot of emphasis and focus, at least for me in my discussions, has been around um, knowing the numbers, right? Now even more than ever, yeah. is, it, is it important to understand cash flow and understand where's the revenues coming in, where are the expenses, which ones are critical, which ones can you do without? Which ones can you defer? Those kind of things are are more relevant and more important now. And definitely being cautiously pessimistic in terms of how you're projecting out those cash flows. A lot of these subsidies are here to defer current expenses into the future. And not necessarily eliminate them. Right, right. So how are you planning for that cash flow crunch in the next couple months? Wait, well, let, let's talk about that $40,000 loan, right? So um, you must have heard the $40,000 loan where only 30000 of it is repayable, et cetera, et cetera. What people fail to miss is 30000 is still repayable. <laughs> so it's not as if the government is just putting forty k in your pocket and saying set it and forget it, deploy it any way you want. It's still it's still repayable. Yeah, there's preferable interest rates and there's amount that's forgiven. But at the end of the day, you're right. Like the business has to take a look and say, "Am I do like maybe my cash flow is just fine and I don't need an additional loan and I don't need to do X, Y, and Z and I don't need to spend this time." And like, what would you say is the impact of businesses applying for all of these loans? I've never seen so many loan applications in my entire career happen in a three month period. Yeah, Like they're going to the Business Development Bank of Canada, they're going to their local banks, they're going to venture capital institutions, like everybody's just applying for all of these loans. Yeah, And I think, I think before you start doing that, you have to ask yourself, do I really need it? Like your revenues have been going up for six months straight and COVID <laughs> hasn't seemed to do anything to, uh, to abate that. And you're here asking for an additional loan. It, it's it may not be the wisest financial decision. So just because something is available in terms of assistance, I'd say, yeah, you may not want to take it. Yeah, and I think we're, we're creeping into that dangerous topic of, of finance and the economic cycle yeah. and all that. But, you know, it, it, is, it is sort of typical of, of, of history and, and what the government has done at this point in time where, you know, they've lowered interest rates to basically nominal. Um, you know, they're printing money, they're loaning out money at an exponential rate like no other. Um, it's, it's the incentive is there. The yep. incentive is there. And, and I think what you're seeing with businesses is, well, why not take it now? Let's, let, let's, let's take advantage of the of low everything. interest rates. And, you know, like you said, maybe it's not, um, not a business that technically should be applying for these subsidies or deserve these amounts because it could be, you know, directed to more businesses that are in need, but maybe they're going to take advantage of it now because they quote unquote meet the criteria. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's no, you're right. But I, I think this is where I think we've, uh, I mean, maybe we take a morality position on this, but we've been very critical in terms of um, like working with clients and figuring out 
what is it for? What is it that you need? What is it that you have? And being very realistic with them. But, you know, from that, those same clients that we've been resistant to, like there's thousands of practitioners that wouldn't bat an eye and apply them for every program that's available, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I think we can definitely talk about that a little bit. Policing the loans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The... (laughs) The tip lines for CRA. Oh, the stuff I see on the news is insane. Like, yeah. it, well, like whether it is the fraud on on the SERP payments, whether it's like loans to companies that have never made any revenue and never made any expenses. All of a sudden, yeah. this company just happened to come up in the last six months and a loan was given to it. So things like that is just, uh, you know, a little bit baffling. Yeah, I think I think the impact of what you're seeing right now is. Um, a government that's understanding that we're in a dire situation mm. and they need to get cash to people that need it. Yeah. And generally the expectation is, you know, Canadians are trustworthy and, you know, business owners are trustworthy and they'll take the money if they really need it and they're meeting the criteria. Now, I think it's a question of, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. And, you know, CRA will come knocking eventually. Yeah, they're they, gonna start they, auditing they, these. Yeah even as we speak, right? I, I don't think we're, yeah, we're not going to get any rest, right? First, it's the app, like, applying for loans and it's defending that application. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, for sure. I'm just clenching a little bit here thinking yeah. about it. But to, so then I guess to round off, to round off the topic. So we started talking about the layoffs and stuff. There's been, there's been enough, uh, there's been enough money kind of given out in the last month and a half or so, Right. And we've seen a lot of influx from government programs, extension of government, pro- extension of the wage subsidy. Like there's a lot of capital available. Do you think that the unemployment rate will start to drop? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. Um, my perspective on that, I don't think so. Not right away. I think this is a slow recovery for small businesses. Um, you know, everybody's hurting. It's going to be, um, you know, Let's look to economical advantages first. Let's get the funding. Let's trim our expenses. Let's uh, streamline operations as much as possible. And, you know, for most businesses, salaries tend to be the major line item. So, uh, you know, I think, unfortunately, it's forcing the unemployment rate up way, way above where it normally sits, obviously. But, um, you know, I think it's going to trend trend for a little while yeah for sure and i guess if we were to bring up an example right like if you well we can bring up our own example at the end of the day if if uh, we were severely affected right the first thing that you and i would do in our particular business platform is we wouldn't automatically go and start hiring individuals you and i would pick up the slack ourselves same thing i think if we owned a restaurant right so we would just work at that restaurant longer until we recouped whatever money we lost during that period and then put that money towards hiring an additional individual right regardless of how many loans i get yeah right so i mean maybe that's the additional kind of background stress on the system that if businesses have incurred three to four months of losses the small businesses they're going to have to wait until they recover to a point where they can positively project forward and say this is the time to bring on additional people or take back the people that were working with us originally right yeah so maybe I think that's going to be a, a yeah spot. that's it's a great point and I think it's also strengthening that sort of gig economy mentality where it's 
it's a question of whether or not you even need to take on a full-time employee. Maybe you can contract it out. Yeah. Maybe there's a firm that specializes in what you're looking for. From a cost-benefit perspective, maybe it's better to just hire them on temporarily. You know, um, it may be more cost-efficient that way. Maybe. Right? And maybe. we don't even know the implications of, of wrongful terminations due to COVID, right? Like, th- that's still happening as we speak. So um, yeah, and nothing, and nothing, gonna, as far as I understand, has been decided in the courts on any recent right. cases. It hasn't even made it to court yet. Yeah. So that's that's the other piece of this is, uh, you know, it doesn't typically reflect um, what the employment standards are versus in what's actually happening. Right. Just because it's widely happening in all businesses doesn't right. mean it's right. Of course, of course, a hundred percent. Right. So we will move on to our next topic. Gus and Igor, now that we're living in the new normal, what are some ways that businesses have adapted? Okay, so for for our next topic, uh, we we wanted to discuss, I guess, uh, the implications of business. So Gus, there's been a lot of changes um, in general to, and, and we're not talking about necessarily the financial implications, we're talking about the routine the general daily activities of people and sort of like how are businesses going to operate in this new environment what's going to happen so what have you seen lately that's you know that's given any indication as to what the heck we're all supposed to be doing down the road and keeping everyone around us healthy as well as ourselves yeah Yeah. just detracting for a second here let alone businesses just you know (laughs) me walking around downtown i've become um almost um annoyingly aware of of you know how close i am to people right um you know interactions handshakes i've seen you at the chick-fil-a line you're not that afraid (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's just yeah it's crazy um especially in downtown toronto it's 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 you know you see some people who are taking this really seriously and others that kind of just think oh it's not a big deal it doesn't doesn't really affect me Right. right so i think from a business perspective they have to take it to that next level. Yeah. People demand. You got to set the example. Right? Yeah, yeah, people demand that. And again, it's another strain on the small and mid-sized business to what, comply I'm, I'm with I'm afraid this. constantly what would be the impact if one of our staff gets sick. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That would mean all of us effectively would be quarantined at home, which is fine. But that means we're going back to the original COVID time frame where... Electronic status updates, electronic work, electronic this, electronic that, which I mean is, is all fine and dandy. But, you know, not every business works in this way, and we're fortunate to be able to. However, it, it drags our productivity, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, we're impervious to these effects, right? I'd prefer that our staff are in the office and, you know, we have some face-to-face interaction, albeit at a two-meter distance. Um, but, but at the same time, you're right. Like, well, like not a lot of businesses can afford to have half their staff go into quarantine, especially as they're trying to pick up for whatever problems happened in, in the last three months. Financially. Yeah. It's, it's a shock. And, and, you know, some of these businesses are only opening at, you know, a quarter, half capacity, if that, and, you know, a good example is, is this article, um, from entertainment talking about cineplex theaters mm-hmm. and, their um their policy basically to stick with optional face masks only for for people that are viewing in theaters and you know the ceos branded this as quote unquote a mandatory mask enforcement and and it's and it's a political thing 
Um, uh, and I think that, you know, in, in their case, they said it's, it's mandatory for staff, not for customers. Right. And customers can decide, and that's, you know, creating a hot topic for discussion. But it do- doesn't just end there. It's, it's how other businesses are operating with the shields, um, with hand sanitizer, with the amount of individuals you let into your place if you're your sort of brick and mortar store, right? So all those things are now have you, considerations. Uh, you just reminded me, have you been to a restaurant yet? No, no, no not yet. I, so <laughs> yeah, I, I fall into the category of definitely a lot. Paranoid. Yeah, more more scared now than I was when the pandemic was happening. Because right. I know you and I didn't really have that luxury of of staying at home. We were driving into the office. Yeah. Um. But you know, just you know, face to face communication with you alone. But um, it almost seemed safer then than it does yeah. right now. With yeah, everybody coming right. out. So You're right. Well, my my friend actually uh, sent me a photo. And she was out at the, she was out at a restaurant, not, not out of Toronto, but, um, and like the picture from inside the the restaurant, if I can describe it is basically one half to one third, the normal amount of tables that are, that are there. And it, it was just, it was just empty. Right. So there, like the tables that were there were filled, but in terms of just thinking about the space in a restaurant, like you have these, you know, smaller, cozy mm-hmm. restaurants. Mm-hmm. And this is a metropolitan area where like wall to wall in between two walls, you have exactly one table. Whereas before you would have like six. Yeah. And you, you're not seating more than five people together. So the maximum that they put is whatever the two to three tables together. But in, the, in this case, like it looked absolutely, absolutely desolate where you know what that it, it didn't really hit me until I saw that photo and I was like this, this is this is really the what's going to happen down yeah. the road and I haven't been to a restaurant nor much like you nor do I have the courage to go go and start visiting restaurants right now I think the best like what do you and I do when we grab some food we eat it in the car yeah yeah that, or you're or, ordering in right so yeah. or you just cook at home you don't even yep. you don't even spend the money now right people are less incentivized yeah. to how go many cookbooks have you bought in the last three months <laughs> i haven't f- fallen into that uh that that trend of baking though yeah, you so know that's because i've seen you at work <laughs> baking. <all> <laughs> yeah so yeah it's 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 crazy to think about when you step back and and see you know how you know as little as six months ago everything was fine and then this big fork in the road happened and it's going to change our lives for uh, you know yeah. years to come now so i mean uh, let's let's use us as an example so we're right now in the process of you know well we've moved offices but now we have to buy some furniture we're just kind of sitting on boxes right now which is fine but uh as we buy the furniture like like what what are some of the discussions like even you and i have had in terms of like setting up the workstations like these are discussions i never would have guessed that we would be having let's say a year ago yeah. like in terms of yeah. spacing protection like what kind of stuff are we thinking of doing yeah, yeah. I think, as you sort of alluded, that mandatory two-meter distance is something you always have to consider. But now, especially with, with staff that are sort of under your purview, for us, things like um, you can't have adjoining desks anymore where, you know, that's what we were used to. Like, back in the days when you and I were, you know, just starting our public practice career, um, we'd sit in a small room together, like 10 of us in a, in a yeah. small little room with no windows. Yeah. And now that's impossible. So, um, you know, the, the space requirement for, for staff and for customers is huge concern. 
And then the other things are things like uh, the shielding between desks and, uh, you know, offering, offering masks if the, the employees want it, a hand sanitizer, how much you're cleaning the office. And, and even today, like the call that, that you were on this morning, you were luckily on speakerphone. The one thing that we didn't even consider is, do we need a screen on the reception desk? Yeah. And our reception desk, like uh, to me, I, I, and I completely forgot because like the last two days we went to that coffee shop and like, they have like the massive screens up. So once again, you're, you're keeping all of your spray away from people when you're speaking moistly and <laughs> now, but, but now the, the person responsible for sort of procuring all the furniture for us is like, well, like, have you guys we considered have. this? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, like this, this is all like brand new to us. And I mean, and, and we're at least fortunate that we're buying all the stuff kind of all together. So maybe it's not as, uh, we don't have to modify a whole lot of things. We're kind of doing it from scratch, but it's a new environment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Would and you I go think... to a movie theater? <laughs> this is my, <laughs> further to your point. Again, I'll, I'll stick with Netflix anyway <laughs> right now. Um, I think there's more, more entertaining things on Netflix these days than, than yeah, what's in the theaters. I haven't been a lot of movies. I can't yeah. And I guess in, in, a, in a while there, there may, you know, like, I don't know how long it's going to take for them to actually come out with new content. So yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Great. So, so, but then what's, uh, I guess, what are workplaces considering when it comes to, let's say mandatory mask wearing, whether it's optional, whether certain individuals have to wear masks, like what, what are the, I guess, what are businesses contemplating there? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's such a touchy subject too, right? Because you're talking about, pe- like, I think it always comes back to the dis- discussion of like, well, it's, it's people's health. Like, health is more important than, you know, business and profits, right? So it, it always kind of ends up going into that discussion, um, which is a slippery slope. So um, it's, it's a very delicate subject. And, you know, uh, as a business owner myself, yeah, it's, 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 a touchy subject but it's like we gotta we gotta continue the business we gotta continue working to to pay our employees to run the firm um so like as as weird as it is to say like i'm still prioritized towards the operations but you got to kind of switch your mindset and say yeah well you know the employees have to feel safe the clients have to feel safe what needs to happen yeah and, and, and i'm i'm on the side of we got to protect the business yeah. Right. Because again, we can't risk losing. And, and we have a small firm. Like I think even losing one person, we feel it losing two people. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's going to be insanely tough. Yeah. Right? And a lot of small businesses are like that. Yeah. It's just, you yeah. have those, those key employees. Yeah, you, you, you lose somebody on the cash. You lose somebody yeah. in the kitchen, for example. Like, He's picking that up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I think to your, to your question, um, to take it back a little bit, um, I think a lot of businesses are, consulting they're they're looking at what other um what other comparable companies are doing um sort of enacting similar standards at least that's what i was looking at when i was uh, you know trying to figure out what is like how much is too much like do we need right do we need everybody to wear gloves does do i need to come around with sanitizer and and clean all the computers at night um do we need to bring in some specialty services to clean out the office like what what is enough yeah. And, um, you know, I think over time, hopefully we'll start to get into a normalization of that. I think right now people are probably on the other end of it where, yeah. you know, rather too much than too little yeah. um, and, and let people's comfort sort of decide the interactions. And right. I find even with, you know, we, we had some client interactions where clients actually came into our office and, you know, 
yeah, it's an eye opener, but at the same time, it's, you know, you ask the question, well, if you're comfortable, you can come into the office. If not, we'll have a Zoom call, right? So it's slowly those people are starting to creep back into hopefully what is sort of normal business yeah. practice, but it's, it's definitely. And I, I, we've seen, I guess we've seen everything. We've seen clients come in mass. We have seen clients that have absolutely no care for anything. We have clients <laughs> that have preferred uh, electronic communications as a way to do things. And I mean, you're right. It's, it's kind of being ready for every scenario. Right. And at the same time, not exposing the individuals that work there. Right. So, and like you and I, the way that we've preferred to, if we were meeting people face to face is we meet them outside, we meet them in a different room. We take them to a different area of the office building in general. So, you know, that's, that's kind of kept, uh, kept that somewhat, uh, somewhat reasonable. And, and you know what, this is the time to set expectations. I mean, if I were to give advice to anyone, it's, uh, you get to choose and it's very rare, you know, like you always hear about everyone that's been in the business for like a million years say, we've always done it this way. Well, hell, you know, this is the time where we can select what policies and procedures we kind of employ. And this is where we can basically say, you know what, from now on, yeah, these individuals will wear masks. When clients come in, they'll be sitting in this particular room. This room is going to be sanitized on a regular basis and kind of work it into the routine and for sure, three to six months down the road, it's going to feel normal. Yeah, it's 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 been an eye-opening experience, I'm sure, for everybody and our listeners as well. Um, and I definitely wasn't appreciative of, um, you know, obviously, you know, wash your hands and, you know, cover your mouth when you're coughing and the general hygiene. But just the the, I guess, comparison between different countries and how some countries really got out of this unscathed. And others really are suffering, and right. and due to sort of, uh, you know, the general cultures and 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 hygiene practices that differ somewhat. And at first, you know, may may seem crazy. Like you know, I was kind of uh, of the opinion at first, you know, the face masks. I was like, oh, well, you know, why is why is someone wearing a face mask? That's kind of crazy. But now now it's the new norm. Quickly, like yeah, in, within the cool. span of a very couple cool. months. Um, so I think it's opened my eyes a lot to you know, um, and I, I don't want to minimize it, but it's, it's kind of good that we kind of had this test run. Like, obviously, you know, it's a COVID terrible thing. And, you know, many people have lost their lives and a lot of people in the hospital and suffering. Um, and I don't want to minimize that, but at the, the same time, it's, it's given us an opportunity to do this sort of dry run, um, you know, for a situation that we know now is possible in the future. Probably, to be honest, yeah, very maybe probable. maybe worse. Yeah. Right. So we're putting these policies in place. Hopefully it becomes the new normal um, and hopefully we're, we're able to bounce back quicker because of it. Yeah. So so basically what you're trying to tell our listeners is they'll they won't see you in a movie theater anytime soon. <laughs> no movies for me. going to pay for all the social programs right so given uh given that you know we've been kind of flooding the streets with money that the the money printing presses have been uh, cooking into overtime and uh, <laughs> we're basically giving everybody around the clock an opportunity to uh, to get government benefits and other sort of things Gus do you, do you possibly see any consequences associated with this when you when you said that the the meme that was flowing through my uh, through through my brain was uh, I saw saw one on reddit the other day where it was Jerome 
Powell with a leaf blower, but instead of it blowing just air, it was blowing money. <laughs> so just just money on the streets flying everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you know to the, this article's point. Um, there's there's some some interesting things to talk about. I think most tax professionals are saying brace yourself. There's there's going to be a tax hike eventually to cover this massive. Uh, you know, uh, closing on a trillion dollars of of spending. Now, you want to say it's irresponsible or or warranted. You know, there's a, a lot of topics to discuss this, um, but it's it's what I go back to is sort of my uh, my my foundational book that I read on taxation that said the art of taxation is procuring feathers from a goose with the least amount of hissing. So how many <laughs> how many feathers can you pluck before the the goose hisses? Um, so I think this, this is a good sort of expression for what's going to happen to us now. <laughs> Although uh, I, I don't think the government is opposed to making a little bit of hissing here and here, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you know, traditionally Canada's in one of the, one of the areas with a, a high rate of tax already for, for you know, uh, middle to middle upper class already paying a high level of tax. How, how f- much further could we go? Yeah. Well, I guess here's my question. If we're looking at the, uh, if we're looking at sort of the future and we're saying right now we've spent X number of months, and let's say we get into the middle of end of this year, we've spent about six to eight months of social programs and support and loans and, and all this other stuff, so half the things being forgivable, half the things being just grants. Half, so if, if we're doing that kind of fiscal policy, what, how would it make sense for them to then take the 2021 tax rates and shoot them up and say, well, we gave you the money for eight months and we said all of it was forgivable, but guess what? We're going to take 80% of it back. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, what's, what do you think the government's plan is going to be if, because that, that would be absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. And, and it's, it's funny. I think if you look back at sort of, um, you know, the history of when there were tax hikes and what that does to, you know, financial psychology of people. Um, usually the tax hikes rarely result in, like personal tax hikes I'm talking about, rarely yeah. result in additional revenue. So where can they look? Um, you know, I think they, they'd probably shy away from something like a wealth tax, right? Like that's very controversial. It, it, it came up once. Um, I think not a lot of You have to protect the oligarchy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and heaven, heaven forbid, there's there's a wealth tax there, right? But I think where where you might see it is is um, you know indirect tax, right? Uh, bumping that up just a percentage point from from this article says it'll generate around eight billion dollars per year. So maybe it's not at like the personal level. HST would go yeah. from thirteen to fourteen. Yeah. Hopefully Good. not, but Good. you know, I think it's, it's got to come. What somewhere. I love is looking at the price tag of something and then <laughs> multiplying it by one point one three. Yeah, I think when I it's bonus. funny. I I didn't really click into that until I was maybe thirteen, fourteen years old, where I was like, oh yeah, no, the price is just what it is, and then you know you see the bill and you're like, what what is this? An extra extra percentage point on top of that it's just it's a surprise to to a lot of people right so it's something you you're not considering and then yeah if you bump it up a few more percentage points now now it really hurts right Right. so um i think you know it would probably bring less outrage 
for going back to my uh, sort of analogy with the pluck in the feathers uh, than bumping up your personal taxes, right? I don't think anybody likes seeing at the end of the year doing their tax return and saying, oh, darn, I got to shell out some, some more dollars to the government now. Yeah. Right. Whereas yeah, hey, that would be noticeable. Yeah. Whereas this is incremental, right? It's right. like as you're spending, as you're consuming, uh, you know, you're, you're getting in indirect tax that way. Um, so I think, you know, that's that's probable. Um, you know, maybe they'll start to investigate um, sort of the estate and and, um, um, you know, taxes on death and, and transfer of wealth to the next generation. Maybe they hike the taxes up there yeah. where, you know, it's, uh, you know, um, situations and, and, and where I'm people expect it. I, I'm, I'm trying not. I'm not trying to make light of the situation, but I'm assuming that would come over time. Cause like during COVID isn't the a time to incorporate a COVID death. Tells. Oh, Oh yeah. <laughs> no that, kidding. That would be a little, uh, yeah, a little morbid, but I, I think you're right. I think it's, it's, it's a far off, it's far a far off sort of, sort of thing, but I think it's inevitable, right? Just the spending versus like the budget's got to balance at some point. We're going to be paying for this one way or another, but it's going to be, you know, what about like import duties, things like, do you think, do you think the actual policy of getting goods into or out of Canada is going to be on that list? Or is that something that's probably more guided by sort of international trade kind of consequences? Yeah, I think, I think you're right on that point. I think it's sort of um, guided a little more on trading. I'm not professing to know a lot about the international trade, but I would assume at a high level, um, the implications of adding that tax would dissuade uh, potential international customers, right. uh, imports and exports, the way we're doing business. Already, Canada has a problem with how they're incentivizing businesses. It's, it's very difficult if you look at it compared to our neighbors in the South, right. running a business down there is much more advantageous than it is up here. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of risk to start up. There's a lot of costs that, um, you know, maybe go unforeseen to people who are just doing a day-to-day -day job, per se, right? Yeah, so. all the registration, all the licenses, everything else. Yeah. I mean, but to your point about the HST, that would be, um, and, and again, we say HST, we're in Ontario, but uh, the value-added tax or the indirect tax or how, however you want to look at it, the tax on actual goods that you purchase is one way. And I guess my thought process was, if you hit goods that are flown into Canada with additional import duties, you wouldn't even know. The The only thing you see is, okay, well, like this Tupperware container that I've been buying for $3.99 is now $4.99. So you're thinking, oh, those, those damn large manufacturing companies trying to make a killing, not even realizing that there's an import duty, right? So... I mean, and, and you're right, maybe that'll be something that unfortunately then dissuades uh, anybody from selling things in Canada, but uh, who knows? Like, if, if we're trying to avoid the hissing as we're plucking feathers, <laughs> that may be another, another route. Um, I guess from, from an estate tax perspective, and like without getting into everything too complicated, um, are, you, are we talking tax rates? Are we talking what might be taxable, like in terms of what rolls to the children tax-free or do you think it may be a combination of both yeah i think it's a combination of playing with with like the probates the the rate of tax on uh, deemed disposition on the date of death right um, maybe bumping those up slightly so that the, the transfer to the next generation isn't as much um, i think there's there's some 
some warrant to that as well, right? I think um, it's definitely something that needs to be taken with some consideration, right? I think a lot of the tax laws right now are so hasty. Um, increasing taxes needs to be really thought out and we need to really take a step back and say, okay, well, how can we realistically pay off this debt? I think of it, you know, as simplistic as, let's look at it as, as like your own personal situation. Like if you had an overwhelming amount of debt, how would you, how would you eat an elephant, right? Yeah. It's, it's one spoon at a time, as of they course. say, right? So you got to kind of parse it out and say, well, it's not realistic to pay this back over the next year. We got to amortize that over, you know, generations possibly of to course. pay this off. But at some point, the, the bill comes due for all of us. Yeah. Um, Do you think, um, so not to give the government any additional ideas on, on further taxation, uh, but actually going away from that area entirely, Maybe some budget cuts. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not good work. No, <laughs> turn down the leaf blower. <laughs> yeah, turn down. So maybe not turn down the leaf blower. I don't. I don't want the listeners thinking that we're we're not uh, we're not on. I guess on the liberal side of things. Um, but at the same time, the uh, the whole concept of the social programs are good. There may be social programs that are now obsolete. So we we kind of like in our last segment talked about you know, the changing environment, you know, that now right. restaurants are going to have trouble. Commercial real estate is probably going to have trouble. There's a lot of industries and there's a lot of services that the government has been providing in the old normal that may be obsolete in the new normal. Yeah, that's so there's a, a lot of money that probably went uh, and has been like allocated to a lot of programs where, you know what, it may just not be needed anymore. And I mean, I'm, I have a hard time coming up with examples, but I'm sure there are sort of loans specific to, let's say, opening new restaurants or loans that are, or even like grants and things like that for sort of innovation in particular areas or assistance with certain commercial real estate payments. But like if the restaurants are closing, if certain businesses are closing, if people are restructuring the operations to have less people, like maybe less people at work means less uh, workplace safety and insurance board payments, you know? So things like that may, may be another element where the government could potentially look and say, you know what? Yes, we can pluck feathers from this goose, but we can also, you know, maybe not try to fatten it up so much. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> or check out that other, check, check out that out other goose <laughs> right there with all the across, feathers. <laughs> across the fence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a great point. It's just it goes to show you how complicated the system is and how intertwined um, the the taxation rules are and how convoluted it is. And it really goes back to what we were talking about: uh, comprehensive reform of of the Canadian tax system. Like you've seen, some countries do that, and you know, positively been impacted for their their entire country and and their citizens. I think it's it's a matter of time for for us as well. And but you have the the regulators that are less incentivized to have a whole overhaul and to just patch the system as it currently stands, right? So I think you're going to see less of sort of the comprehensive reform and more of the subtle changes. And to your point, maybe some of those those grants or those subsidies that were available no longer are required, and they can redirect that to to areas sure, of need. The debt. Yeah. What, what yeah. about uh, going after all of these fun stories we hear about, about people getting 17 payments of CERB? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I want to 
hope that that's not the case but you know we can great interlude into sort of our next article which kind of talks about um C cbc sort of released this this um politics article on the cra tip line which was recently introduced to sort of um get tips for people that had suspected emergency aids cheats so um, you know, it, like you said, maybe you doubled up on the SERB payment and you kept it, or maybe you applied for a program and you weren't eligible, but someone overheard it and 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 tipped off CRA. Um, so and, it like doubled in one week from six hundred to thirteen hundred. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess uh, Canada's citizens are, are tattletales for sure. So, <laughs> um, but you know, I I think it's good. It 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 kind of goes to show you that. Most Canadians are, are honorable people. They want to abide by the laws and regulations that the government is, is introducing, rightly or wrongly so. Um, and the, the sort of tip line and the, the level of frequency of people bringing in tips, obviously, is, is increased substantially. Um, it definitely helps CRA paint their targets quicker. I think one way or another, they'll come back and reconcile this, right? The, those payments came into your account from somewhere. They've, they have track of that somewhere. So it's just a matter that's, of that, time. That's a good point. And I, I think that's what I go back to when I talk to friends, family, clients that are like, okay, well, like I, we've heard a lot of stories ourselves, obviously, right? It's like, well, my neighbor's getting like seven payments at once and like has registered their cat for CERB. Now that that's a joke. <laughs> like I'm not putting this in the tip line, but the, the, the cat was registered for CERB. So, but but you're right. The government does. It, it's not as if the money comes from a black hole. Like the money comes in from the government. They know what social insurance number they're paying it to. They know the residence and and who the individual is that cashes the check at the end of the day. Who owns the bank account? And let's let's play no games here. Like we've we've defended clients and we've assisted clients with matters where the CRA has effectively just cordoned off their, their bank accounts and seized all of their assets. Like the CRA is within power to do that. Not to say that that's going to happen to everybody, but at the end of the day, it's not like the government is without ways to have, that have teeth in terms of coming back at those payments and making sure that someone has to repay. But I think from, from our perspective and kind of what, what we tend to see, or at least definitely the way that I see it, is at the end of this year, when you're filing your 2020 tax return at some point in 2021, you're, you're going to need to take a look and say, well, you know, this is the social assistance that I've received as part of the CERB. And then you're going to have to declare all the other forms of income. And if anything, I know everybody wants the CRA and the government to do things about all of these programs today. But the reality is you don't get a complete picture until next year when all of the stuff goes together. Because those same people that collected all the SERP payments are going to have to get T4s for their employment income. They're going to get all of their investment income. They're going to get everything else put together. And if you, if the CRA, who's who has a very large data bank of all of this data and information and financial information, everything put together, they're going to compare all of the details and say, well, you know, we shouldn't have paid this person, sir. So guess what? It's going to, it's going to be due and payable at the end of the tax time, like anything else. At least that's the way that, that I think things are going to roll out. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And not to dissuade our, our listeners, right? I think there's a lot of people that need they need these benefits yeah. and they need the, you know, and, the top up of salary, right? Of course. Yeah. I think 
you know, at least the way that it's been announced by Trudeau is that the government's not going to go after you if you made an honest mistake. If you're not sure and you've received a double up or you didn't you didn't account for it correctly, they're not going to they're not going to put you in jail. Right. You're the, yeah, the last. Nor, nor should they. they shouldn't yeah. be shaming people for for social assistance. It's it's one of those things where you're right. Like, yeah. let's give the money now. And then a year from now, once we have a full record of everybody's accounts and the income and everything else, at that point, determine if an individual is eligible or not. And yeah, if they're earning a massive salary and whatever sort of things they choose to introduce at that point in time, if that means they have to repay some of that assistance, then that's fine. But I I also am against penalties unless there's willful misrepresentation and misconduct, right? Which, again, is that Sienta requirement, which... uh, which it's difficult to prove anyway. Like how right. can you prove anybody's being malicious, especially in the courts these days, right? Yeah. The first time they do that is the first time they'll go to appeals. It's <laughs> a good point. Yeah, I think at least to this article's sort of context, they're saying a lot of what CRA is hearing right now is the voluntary repayments, right? If you go into your account, you have the ability to go back and say, yeah, I did receive two payments, a double up of the CERB or EI and CERB here, I'm going to repay it back now. And that's that's kind of where their focus has been, just sort of saying, hey, you may have received double payments, double check, and then, you know... Yeah, um, voluntarily right. submit your funds. If right, you and, and, and less towards sort of navigation of the abuse, which I think is, is to come. Yeah, and I mean, also, I guess at the end of the day, um, the, the 3,300 tips isn't all that much, right? I mean, it, it's... It's a lot for a week, but I think as time goes on, here here's a program that I think could use some cutting, the, the tip line. At the end of the day, I feel like this is one of the things the CRA can do in the background without having uh, necessarily certain certain things uh, point. Like <laughs> in any, uh, to be fair, right? Like analytics, they have a lot of sophisticated tools and yeah. identify yeah. fraud, and they've been doing it successfully for many years. Um, you know, maybe maybe fund the actual fraud prevention slash fraud detection service yeah. instead of, you know, holding people on tip lines. But well, here's a question for you as a certified fraud examiner. Um, how much of this do you think is positioning by CRA to kind of just say, uh, you know, just paint the warning yeah. and, and, you know, make people aware Um so they're less incentivized? That, that's a very what do you, what do you think? That's a very good question. I, my understanding and sort of the way, that, the way that I would analyze the situation is, you're right, prevention and scaring people into making repayments and making them worry about, let's say, they're, they're about to apply for like the ninth CERB installment and maybe, <laughs> maybe that kind of marketing is enough to stop them from clicking the button. And I think that's where they're directing their efforts because, to be fair, I think it's very difficult to charge an individual with fraud, and it's very difficult for the CRA to be able to prove malice in terms of applying for the program because, to me, um, if you have to mount some sort of evidence in terms of a fraud examination and determine whether someone is culpable in, in whatever act they did, the difficulty is it's a difficult economic time. There are a lot of emotional pressure. There's emotional stress. There's family stress. There's organizational stress. They could have been laid off. They could be unsuccessfully looking for work. There's a lot of things that if it ever made it up to the highest court, like especially the tax court, the tax court would be very reluctant 
to say that somebody in a desperate position that needed the money would be ineligible or would have to face some sort of penalty uh, in excess of the repayment of that particular assistance. So yeah. it is posturing if I were to hazard a guess. Yeah, and I think that's you know geeking out here a little bit, but um, I am excited to sort of see those court cases come out and see the decisions yeah. that are being ruled by the courts um, and how, how it's going to tip in favor. Is it going to be more towards the individual, which I, w- I would assume. But yeah, like you said, there's, there's, there's a line, right? The, maybe that 14th serve payment is the line. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think generally speaking. Or like well, doing it for your cat. <laughs> just uh, <laughs> cats just uh, taking advantage of everything these days <laughs> sir payments we, we use subsidies we use cats as an example for uh, a lot of the anytime we try to explain to a client why it doesn't make sense to structure something in a particular way yeah, don't put your cat in a holding company in a holding company yeah, <laughs> well that was fun guys so what's next Right. So thank you. Thank you to our wonderful listeners. And uh, again, hopefully we covered some interesting topics. I mean, there's going to be definitely more to come and we'll, we'll share some interesting stories with you as, as kind of time moves on. But uh, Gus, where, where should our listeners look for stuff? Like where can we point them to? Yeah, if you're, you're interested in seeing more of our content, we just recently redid our lovely website. So you can visit us at abacusgroup.ca. Um, we have a plethora saying, of content uh, there. Um, by saying redid, yeah. <laughs> we the first one we made ourselves. <laughs> this one we've actually <laughs> finally got done professionally. Well, I didn't want to discredit you for, for your <laughs> slap. I did my page. best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely uh, gone up in quality and and scale a little bit. Thank but, you, guys. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> but we'll we'll leave we'll leave the the website design to to those who have that expertise, and we'll leave you do accounting and tax where you belong (laughs) but um, yeah so we we have some interesting articles on our blog we try to do blog posts at least you know a couple a a month don't hold us to that Um, we do have our podcast there and obviously you can get it on all our traditional uh, avenues there and of course if you need to contact us there's there's a there's a link up at at the top of the page as well and uh, yeah we'd be happy to hear it from you Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Stay safe and, uh, and take care. Goodbye. This has been Abacus Breeze with Gus and Igor. If you love our show and want to encourage future episodes, please visit our website at abacusgroup.ca and drop us a line. It would also be a big help if you could leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you use. For questions or suggestions, email us at info at abacusgroup.ca. Be sure to tell your friends about our podcast and follow us on Twitter at abacus underscore CPAs. Speak with you soon.